everybody. It's Pastor Chad. Today is Sunday, February 21st, and welcome to The Way Radio Live. I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, the title of today's message is Back to the Gospel, and this is actually a message that I preach probably once or twice a year uh, because it's extremely important. Um, I firmly believe that so many of the problems that we're facing in the world and we're facing in the modern church could be solved and remedied if we would simply get back to the bot to the gospel so that's why that's the title of today's message and it's a message that i like to get into uh, a couple times a year so i decided to uh, preach on this today so with that let's pray and we will get into the message heavenly father we thank you again that we're able to gather here uh, each sunday and that people from a distance brothers and sisters in Christ can uh, congregate online and that we can uh, engage in fellowship, even though we're often quite far apart and even on other sides of the world. Uh, Lord, today's message is so important, uh, the message of the gospel. And Lord, I ask that you would uh, bless your word, that it would go forth powerfully, uh, that you would uh, open each heart and mind and spirit that hears this message uh, to be blessed with the power of your truth and that your word would go forth uh, in the way that you've intended it and that you would bless each person that hears this message and that you would uh, just open our hearts and our minds to your amazing glory and your truth and the mystery of the gospel today. And we thank you in Jesus name. Amen. So again, the title is back to the gospel. And I want to begin by posing a question. Why do we need to get back to the gospel. Why is that the title of the message? And if you've followed my ministry for any amount of time, it's a phrase that I've used uh, over and over again over the years, back to the gospel. I want to pose a question, or I want to make a comment to help answer that question. Why do we need to get back to the gospel? Consider that in the U.S., in the United States alone, the common consensus among biblical Christian leaders, and the reason I use that phrase, biblical Christian leaders, is I'm referring to pastors and Christian leaders who have actually been called into the ministry, and they're doing what they do because it is a calling, because they're being led by the Holy Spirit. They are not doing it because it is a job. They're not doing it as a pastime. They're not doing it um, for money, basically, uh, which is very common in the modern church. So I'm talking about very solid, grounded men of God who are preaching the gospel, leading in the church, and striving to do what the Lord has called them to do. The common consensus among solid, among biblical Christian leaders is that 90% of the visible church is void of the gospel and unsaved, and pretty much of the world. Now, that's that may seem like a, an extreme figure to think that if you look at everything in America and everything, I guess you could say, in the Western church that professes to be the church, what I call the visible church, the common consensus is that only 10% of that church is actually the church, is actually saved, understanding the gospel, and in can be considered the true body of Christ. Now, the reason I use that figure is because uh, over the last seven or eight years, 
as I have been in meetings with different pastors and, and Christian leaders, this question will come up because there's great concern over what is happening with the modern church. Why is there so much apostasy and why are so many things seemingly out of control and continually to go more and more apostate or even heretical? And when that question is posed, well, if you take the entire church and I'm talking, um, when I say the visible church, I'm talking about uh, very solid churches, uh, like you might think of, uh, like like the church that R.C. Sproul led, to the other extreme, where you've got the apostate or the heretical churches, uh, like Joel Osteen or Rick Warren, churches that are, are, are just basically completely void of the gospel and leading people astray. Of that church, the common consensus among these people that I've talked to in meeting after meeting and phone call after phone call or interview after interview is that 10% of the church is probably a very accurate number or, or a relatively accurate number on how much of the church is actually saved and grounded in the word of God and preaching the gospel. The vast majority of those claiming to be Christian are not saved because they are in false teachings. They follow a Jesus that never existed, and they believe a false gospel that contradicts the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, I want you to look at Matthew 24, 10 through 14, to help us get started here. In Matthew 24, 23 through 24. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then Matthew 24, 23 through 24. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. That's very clearly a picture of what has been much of the church since the beginning of the church and is a huge percentage of the church that we witness now. So getting back to the message of the gospel is extremely important for the times in which we live. What it comes down to is the fact that Satan is leading multitudes astray by subtle, incremental lies. Lies that are mixed with just enough truth to appear real to those without the discernment to spot a counterfeit. There are so many that are lost in the dark, but don't realize it. And this is something that has just actually fascinated me since I, I was being called into ministry, you know, 15 to 18 years ago, I guess it was, as I was growing in the knowledge of God's word and the message of the gospel was becoming more and more clear to me, that was an amazing blessing and it brought me great joy. But on the other hand, the more I learned about the truth of the gospel, the more it became clear to me that so much of what claims to be the church has nothing to do with the true church. And so many who think they're believers or claim to be Christian, are actually still wandering in the dark, and they don't even know it because they've never even heard the true, uncompromised, biblical, 
gospel of Jesus Christ as it should be preached. Look at Matthew 15, 12 through 14. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Again, a picture of what we see that is unfortunately so common for the times in which we live right now. Now, an analogy that I often use to show how important it is to understand the one true message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is by using the analogy of a compass. And anybody that's ever sailed understands that if, or traveled by sea, let's say, if you sail, uh, traveling is, is quite a bit more complicated than if you're going somewhere through uh, being motor powered in a boat. If you sail and you're navigating, you have to constantly be tacking and you're sort of at the whim and the control of the winds. So as you're tacking back and forth and trying to capture the winds that are going to help you reach your destination, you have to constantly be constant compensating for the changes in direction that have to be made as you're tacking to, to capture the wind. But if you're let's let's imagine that you're sailing or, or you're 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 taking a voyage by ship and that ship is powered by an engine. So you can just say hypothetically you can just uh, make a straight line and say you're going from southern California to Hawaii, you can chart a course on your compass and say as long as we stay on this compass heading, we will end up at our destination. Now, if that compass heading is off by two or three degrees over such a great distance, you're going to completely miss your destination and who knows where you'll end up. The reason that analogy is so important is because Satan works in just a few degrees quite often of subtle lies. He will make the the lies that will lead to someone's destruction appear so much like the truth that the undiscerning will buy into it and follow it, not realizing that they are being led to destruction. And this is very, very common in the modern church. You have to take into account the fact that Satan is not omniscient. So over the last 2,000 years or so, he has been learning more and perfecting more and more his ability to deceive and to polish up his lies and to make them more appealing and more subtle and more difficult to discern to human beings. And that's why so many modern false religions trap people so successfully and they cling to these false beliefs so successfully because Satan has done such a masterful job of, of capturing them there. And two examples I'll give you will be uh, Roman Catholicism and Mormonism. It's very difficult quite often to help open people's eyes to the error that they are trapped in because Satan has done such a masterful job of closing their eyes and their spirits to the truth because he makes their lie, the lie that they are truly in, look so much like the truth, but it's not. Charles Spurgeon has one of my favorite, said one of my favorite quotes. He says, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and and almost right. See, if you're seeking Christ and you're following that compass heading that leads to his cross and leads to eternal, eternal salvation from him, the opposite 180 degrees from that is absolute darkness and evil, and it is Satanism. So any fool can see the opposite 
But Satan realizes that if he can just sort of get you into a gray area through subtle lies and misleadings and falsities, that he can lead you to destruction. So a fool, a child can tell the difference between right and wrong, but it takes discernment, it takes wisdom, it takes prayer to understand the difference between right and almost right, between the true gospel of Jesus Christ and a counterfeit of Jesus Christ. You see, this is why the message of the gospel is so very important. Let's look at Acts 4.12 to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And like I've said before, Christianity is not a universal belief system. Christianity closes the door on everything that contradicts the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christianity, Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And then this verse backs that up. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That, again, I think I talked about this last week. It is important to understand that that name, you must understand what who what the name of Jesus, who it truly represents. You can only come to know and understand the name of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, through his word, by the power of the, of the Holy Spirit. And if you're not careful, especially if you're a new believer, or you have just begun to seek truth, that you're not led astray. So you must constantly cling to the word of God. That's why the Bible is so vitally important in the Christian life. To give a reader, to, to help make my point of how important a name is, let's look at Proverbs 22.1 and Ecclesiastes 7.1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. A good name is better than precious ointment. A good name can only be had and understood if you understand what that person's name is representing. You see? The name Jesus, if you read ancient writers from the times when Christ walked the earth, or shortly after that, writers like Josephus, you'll find that the name Jesus was quite common in that area. But the name Jesus, the Messiah, represents everything that is truth and life, and the only way to salvation, where another human with the name Jesus, that name Jesus doesn't represent what we're talking about here, the message of the gospel. So you've got to understand the importance of knowing the Christ that you can only come to know through God's word by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Quite often when witnessing to, to, to people come in, that are trapped in Mormonism, they will say, well, we're Christians. Uh, our, our churches say Jesus, that we are the, the religion of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. What they don't understand is the Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, of the Mormon religion, never existed. The name Jesus Christ on their churches represents someone who never truly existed. It is not the Christ of Scripture. And if you look through their writings and their teachings of how they explain who Christ is, you realize that that Christ is not the Christ of Scripture. It is a counterfeit. But you see the subtlety there that I was alluding to earlier. Another point I want to make when it comes to knowing 
truly who Christ is and understanding what his name represents. Consider that many modern Christians can tell you more about their favorite athlete, their favorite movie star, their favorite rock star, their favorite politician than they can about the person and work of Jesus Christ or about the gospel. I don't think anybody would argue the fact that that's very common in the modern church. So many Christians have a encyclopedic knowledge or understanding of sports or golf or whatever it is. There's nothing wrong with enjoying those things, but those things should appear minuscule compared to your knowledge of Christ if he's your savior. You see, everything should be subordinated to him. Now, I want to ask a question. Another common problem that we have, does reciting a sinner's prayer make someone a Christian? Does reciting a sinner's prayer make someone a Christian? Many have said a prayer at some point, were told they were Christians, but they were pretty much the same going forward. And we've all heard those stories, especially from missionaries, where they'll say, today we got so many decisions for Christ, or we did a revival, we had so many decisions for Christ. What does that mean? What do those numbers truly represent? Are they doing more harm than good in measuring the effect of, I guess you could say, the gospel, if they actually preach the gospel message in such a way? But the fact that things are looked at that way nowadays has caused much pain and confusion in very many lives. This long-standing error in the church has come about through neglect of the gospel. See, people will beg people or try to uh, push people or convince them to make a decision for Christ to, rec to recite this prayer that they tell them they need to recite if they want to be considered a Christian. And usually that follows upon a message that is void of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're proclaiming the true gospel of Jesus Christ as it is conveyed to us in God's word by the leading of the Holy Spirit, you shouldn't have to convince or drag someone to Christ or use manipulations to get them to make a decision for Christ. It should happen by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by something that we're trying to do. The modern sinner's prayer and inviting Jesus into your heart is not in Scripture. Think about that. How many times, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, have you heard people say, you just need to invite Jesus into your heart? Where is that in Scripture? It's not there. From my own personal experience, I accepted Christ, I said a prayer, and I was baptized at, I believe, about eight years old. But was I saved at that time? I still remember it. It was a very profound event in my life. But was I saved? I don't feel that I truly began to follow Christ and to experience his joy and to see fruit in my life until about 15 or 16 years ago, after I came out of the whole recovery thing, which was just a, a horrific time of being trapped in false teachings. So I, from my own experience, I, I believe that the Lord called me at eight years old but for some reason, my life went sideways for a long time after that. So I believe I was saved at eight years old because he's, we're told that those that he has chosen, his elect, our names have been written in, the, in, the, in his book of life since before the foundation of the world. But I didn't show any fruit of regeneration until much later. You see, 
when God's word really started to blossom in my heart and he put a burning desire in me to know what truth is, to understand what the truth of the gospel is. And the reason that was is because I spent so many years going to different churches that were very modern and just didn't really preach solid, deep Christian gospel doctrinal messages. You see? That's so common today, and I think it's one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about preaching the truth and crushing false beliefs and lies under the weight of Scripture, because they can't stand up against it, because I've seen in my own life what happens when we don't focus on those core Christian doctrines and the gospel is compromised. So we have to be very careful. Look at 1 John 2, 18 through 19. In Matthew 7, 22 through 23, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all are not of us. We're being taught right there that from the beginning of the church, the wheat has been growing up with the tares. Believers have been with unbelievers in the congregation of the church. And we will not know for sure who the chosen elect people of God are until that final day of judgment. And I believe on that day, we'll be surprised on who's there and who's not there quite often. Look at Matthew 7, 22 through 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, this is an extremely inter interesting verse for the age in which we live when you consider that there is such a movement now of false prophets. There are so many people claiming to be apostles and prophets. The word tells us the law and prophets were until John. No prophets are needed because we have everything we need in the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, if you look that up, conveys the fact that everything we have for the Christian life has already been given to us and is laid down in Scripture. It's sufficient for everything we need. We have the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. You see? But then it says, and cast out demons in your name. Another very popular movement nowadays is this is deliverance ministries. Whatever it is you suffer from, it's because of demons. So we're going to cast out these demons and you'll be okay. I run into that all the time in the recovery side of things. And I can tell you from experience that these people who have had some kind of addiction or sin that they've been trapped in, they go to these deliverance ministries and everyone that has come to me after these experiences is far worse off after going through deliverance ministry and supposedly having demons cast out than before they went in to the point of near suicide quite often. I know of one man that actually came from another state to visit our ministry here in Idaho because he was so destroyed through a deliverance ministry that he lived as a hermit by himself out in the woods because he felt that they had opened him up to such demonic influence through this so far called deliverance that he didn't even feel like he could be around people because he would be a danger to them and to himself. And I just had an experience in the last few months of someone that was dealing with addiction and homosexuality. Supposedly a deliverance ministry was supposed to free him from all that. 
And he contacted me and he is in a state far worse than he ever started with. So those are an extremely destructive false teaching in the world in which we live. But they are doing these things, claiming to be Christians. And this verse, this verse here that we see from Christ directly rebukes what they are doing. So be very, very careful. And notice where Christ says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Not you didn't know me. I didn't know you. See, what we have to understand is we come to Christ because he is he already knows who his chosen ones are. You can't come and know Christ unless he has already known you. Everything springs from him. He is the initiator of our salvation. Making a decision for Christ Asking Jesus into our heart, reciting a prayer does not regenerate a dead sinner into a new creation in Jesus Christ because the gospel is lacking in most of the church today. The above verses are very applicable to the times in which we live. Very much so. The gospel must be proclaimed and heard and God must raise the dead to life. Look at Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. Whoops, I missed one there. For just as, I'm going to read it because we missed some verses somehow. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He made us alive together in Christ, even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. So our salvation has nothing to do with us has everything to do with Christ. He initiates our rebirth, our regeneration, and we are brought to life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we are brought to believe and to place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Matthew 7, 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This is very important. And this is one of those areas of doctrine that is so misunderstood and I think has been misunderstood, especially since the 1500s when uh, we were lucky to have the reformers wake up to the heresy that had, that had become the, the Roman church, the Roman Catholic church, and to understand the doctrines of grace. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. We will know true believers, true brothers and sisters in Christ by the fruit of their lives. But I want to make a couple of very important points here so we understand fruits and works correctly. Don't limit fruits to works. Quite often we think if someone is a Christian, they are uh, they're supporting ministries, they're going on mission trips, they're preaching, they're doing this, they're doing that. That's fine. Quite often fruits are being, are blossoming and springing forth within a person long before we see the work that's poured out from those fruits. So just don't always look for something external. Quite often the fruits are blossoming beautifully within the person spiritually. And don't assume works are fruits. Quite often works are done for the wrong reasons. Like I preached about a couple of weeks ago, a true Christian ministry is only considered a Christian ministry if it is engaged in the, God, in the ministry of reconciliation to be reconciled to God through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that gospel message. So if you are doing good works, if you're helping people and doing all the things that you think you should be doing as a Christian, but it's from a religious perspective rather than fruit being born, that river of living water pouring forth because you've been regenerated in Jesus Christ, then those works are not true fruits, you see? So you got to be very careful. Now this verse here, let's look at this. 
Hooks, I apologize. I keep missing verses. I was rushed trying to get ready today, so I missed some stuff. James 2.26, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. This is one of the most common verses that are used by those that are in religions that claim you either have to earn your way to heaven, you have to earn your salvation, or you have to partly earn it. They'll say, no, James 2.26 says, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead, meaning you have to have faith and works. If you look at this verse in context and you go back and you read the way John James is writing, it's very clear that what he's saying is we know that a faith is alive and vibrant because works pour forth from it. If you truly have faith, you cannot help but bearing fruit and, and carrying out good works. It is the product of faith. It's not going along with faith. You see? Hopefully that makes sense. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why do I believe what I believe? Am I truly a Christian? Test yourself against the word of God to make sure that you are truly in the faith. And James 2.26 is a beautiful way of doing that. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Very important for the age in which we live, especially where we've got such a culture of celebrity Christian leaders who are looked at as rock stars, who spend so much time trying to build their following. you got to really wonder, is that being done for the right reasons? Obviously, there are very solid biblical pastors that have large followings, but you can tell by their the way they preach and their demeanor that that really doesn't mean anything to them as much as getting across the true, unadulterated, uncompromised message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many think that we're saved, that they are saved because of something that they did at one point in their lives. Reciting a prayer without knowledge of the gospel is very, very common. Somebody will be dealing with addiction, sin, whatever it is. Their life is in a shambles. They'll go to a service. They'll see a really nice show put on. They'll hear a sermon that, that tells them if, if, if they just give Jesus a chance that their life will get back together, everything will, will come back to them. You just got to give Jesus a chance so they'll recite this prayer and think life's going to be great. They've never heard the gospel message. And then when their life falls apart, what does it do? It puts a stain in the eyes of the world, on Christianity. It makes others question whether Christianity is valid because what they viewed as Christian never truly was. So that's, again, the importance of the gospel through God's word. The gospel through God's holy word by the power of the Holy Spirit is what brings a lost sinner to believe and to follow Jesus Christ. You can never discount the message of the gospel. Let's look at Romans 10, 13 through 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him, <coughs> excuse me, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. 
For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. But especially in verse 1 there, we see a picture of that true mission being carried out. The reason we go to Kenya is pictured in Romans 10, 13 through 17, so that we will be able to proclaim the gospel through different means. Those gosp The gospel message will reach the people that the Holy Spirit's calling, and they will call on the name of the Lord and be saved because of the things that are outlined in, in Romans 10, 13 through 17 taking place. We just had to make some great, uh, some quite drastic changes in our ministry work in Kenya because some of the people that had tried to join with us were more interested in ministry and what they could get from it rather than the message of the gospel. That is very common in whatever ministry you're in. So we just had to, to make some changes, move things around a bit and get make sure everybody was focused back on that gospel message. Because what I tell them every time I go there is if we are not grounded on the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we're not grounded on solid Christian biblical doctrine, we will not grow healthy and in the proper way. So we always come back to that foundation. And that's just something that always has to be done in Christian ministry is you have to just keep coming back to that foundation because human nature pulls people away from it. So you have to constantly be making those corrections and coming back to it. And we just had to make a few of those corrections in Kenya. And now we're back on track again. We didn't wander far from it. We saw what was happening and we came back to it. It just is one of those things that always happens in Christian ministry. The gospel through God's holy word by the power of the Holy Spirit is what brings a lost sinner to believe and to follow Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to contrast the modern sinner's prayer that may be enticed, it may be emotional, it may be coaxed out of people, and often without the gospel message with the following. And like I, like I alluded to earlier, think about that. How often people are coaxed into saying a sinner's prayer but they haven't heard the gospel message and they think their life's going to turn around. They're going to have their wallet. Their greatest dreams are going to come true. They're going to have everything they want in life because they said this prayer. Now they're a Christian. So Jesus is just going to, just going to take care of them. But if they've never heard the gospel message, that's what's called a false conversion. So I want you to think about that, trying to talk somebody into following Christ versus the responses that we see here to the gospel in Acts 2, 37 and 38 and Matthew 4, 17 through 19. Look at this in Acts 2, 37 through 38. Now, when they heard this, meaning the message of the gospel, that's why that's in brackets, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they heard the gospel message, and it cut them to the core. It rocked them so much that they knew that without the salvation that only abides in Jesus Christ, they could not stand before their maker, and they stood condemned because of their sin. Matthew 4, 17 through 19. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So notice in this verse, the first word out of Jesus's mouth that's recorded in scripture in his ministry is repent. Repent means 180 degree turn. You are following the ways of the world. You're following the prince of this world, which is Satan. Even if you're not doing it in complete knowledge of what you're doing, you're not realizing it. When you come to Christ through the message of the gospel, you cannot help but repent, turn away from everything that's contrary to Christ and strive to follow him and be conformed to his image. You see? Repent. What must we do to be saved? You must repent, place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And then the next one, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So you repent and you follow Christ. You don't repent and continue on in your life as before. You see, you repent and follow Christ. Very important. You repent and follow Christ. You don't recite and continue on as you did in your previous life. I want to share a quote from you from my friend Matt. Quite out, I'm sure some of you know who Matt Slick is. He's the president of Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry. Him and I live close together, and he's, he's a close friend of mine. And I love his explanation of the gospel. The gospel is the singularly most important communication of God to man. In Jesus, who is God the Son, we have the revelation of God's love and sacrifice that saves us from God's righteous judgment upon sinners. Great explanation of what the gospel is. Beautiful. So I want to ask you guys, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you know the gospel message? Because like I've shared before, if you're down, even if you're a believer and you're going through a time in a valley and you might be down, depressed, a little bit of in a dark place, understanding the truth of the gospel message can easily lift you out of that and raise your spirits. If you're presented with a false convert or you're presented with an unbeliever before you and you're trying to help share the gospel with them, you need to go know what that gospel message is. So I would recommend what I'm going to do now is go through the message of the gospel, write down these verses and use them to share the gospel with others. It's what we are called to do as Christians. And I'm going to preface it with 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, where Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So we have the message of the gospel there, referring to Christ's death, suffering, death, and resurrection, and then the eyewitness accounts that began the proclamation of the gospel that is spread throughout the whole world. But now let's look at the gospel message point by point. 
And the first thing you have to understand is we are all sinners. We have all offended God. We have all broken his law. And we are guilty of having sinned against a perfect and holy God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, every human being except for Jesus Christ. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. We're dead in our sins and trespasses, and we cannot please God. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. We cannot approach God. Our sin makes it impossible. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. Romans 6.23 and Ephesians 2.3. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2.3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we were dead before being made alive in Christ Jesus. We cannot please God if we are not in Christ Jesus. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now these verses seem very harsh, and like we're picking on the human race, but you got to understand we're contrasting humanity with the perfect holiness of God. So the most upstanding human being next to Christ, who was, I'm saying Christ was perfect, but if you take whoever that next level of uh, the, the best person that lived was still a sinner, and even the one, even one sin completely separated that person from God and put him in the classification of Romans 3, 10 through 12. Because of our condition and our sin, we will suffer eternal damnation. 2 Thessalonians 1, 9 says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. We are separated from God because of our sins. Nothing we can do to be reconciled to him. So this is the great dilemma. How does a fallen, sinful, guilty, finite creature become reconciled to a perfect, holy, and infinite God? How can we stand before our Creator on Judgment Day? How can we be reconciled to God when we are so tainted and stained by sin? Psalm 51.4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David understood when he sinned horribly, and even though he had harmed other people horribly through his sin, that the greatest result of that sin, the greatest depravity of that sin, was the fact that he had sinned against his perfect and holy God. Folks, the only way to escape God's judgment and wrath is through the blood of Jesus Christ by receiving him and trusting in the atoning sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. He's the only human being that ever walked this world without any sin taking place in him whatsoever. And I'm not just talking about sin being acted out. I'm talking about sin, even mental or emotional sin. He was perfect. And because of his perfection, he took our sin upon him 
He paid the price for us on the cross. And if we place our faith and trust in him, we will be saved because Christ, God, the Father will see us through Christ's righteousness because we have no righteousness of our own. Let's look at John 14, 6, Acts 4, 12, and 1 Peter 2, 24. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You just eliminated every other belief system in the world except Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Again, reiterating that point that you must know who the true Christ is. And 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. That's a picture of that repentance that I was talking about. You die to sin and you turn around from that death into life and now you live to righteousness, the righteousness that is only found in Jesus Christ. Because we are sinners, we have no ability and we are completely incapable of removing the guilt of our sin by our own efforts. We are actually dead in sin. There is nothing we can do to be saved. It has nothing to do with us. Our, our, our salvation in Christ is initiated by him as well. Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. We, we have broken God's law over and over again. And Ephesians 2.3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He's talking about believers before they were believers, believers before they were born again in Jesus Christ. We cannot remove our sins. God must do it for us. And this he did through his son, Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. Folks, you've got to understand, saying a prayer does not make you born again. Claiming to believe in Christ does not make you born again. You believe because you've been regenerated and born again. You have faith because you've been regenerated and born again. You can understand the message of the gospel because you've been regenerated and born again. Until God has already given you new life and made you a new creation in Jesus Christ. Once that happens, then you believe, then you have faith, then you start following Jesus Christ. John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Christ is the Word, the Logos. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Two verses that are very important to remember, John 1.1 and 1.14, because it talks about the incarnation of Christ. God, the Word, became man in the flesh. John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He's reiterating his divinity, and he's referring to the Trinity right there. Before Abraham was, I am. What did God say when Moses asked him who he was to the burning bush? Tell them that I am has sent you. That was Christ again. Colossians 2, 9, for in him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Christ is God incarnate. You cannot throw out that doctrine and be a, a believer of Christ. 
Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross. He died in our place and he paid the penalty for breaking God's law that should have fallen upon us. God's law was satisfied by Christ dying on the cross in our place. Again, 1 Peter 2, 24 through 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He took on the sin debt that we owed so that we could be saved through his sacrifice. So if you believe these things and you feel like you want to follow Christ, you feel like you're being called to place your trust and your faith in him. There's one other point that I have to make that is almost completely neglected in the modern church and you will almost never hear when it comes to the to Christianity, and that is counting the cost. It's a very neglected teaching. If you're going to make, if you're going to follow Christ, if he is calling you, if he, is, if he has made you that new creation and the gospel message is piercing your heart and your spirit, and you know that you need to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you're repenting and making that 180 degree turn away from the world and the control of Satan, and striving to be conformed to the image of Christ, there is a cost to be paid. And you will not hear this in 90% of the, of the modern church. Look at Luke 14, 27 through 28. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? You will pay a price if you're a true follower of Christ. Christians will have tribulations. Christians will have persecutions. But we are blessed to suffer, and our joy is multiplied through it all. John 16, says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. These things don't mean as much to us when we're in Christ, but they will scare us before we're in Christ. When we're in Christ, the world cannot harm us as much because we realize that this world is going to disappear. He's making a new heaven and a new earth. And what we think is important in this world will be will mean nothing to us when we are in, in eternity with Christ. So you got to decide, are you going to receive Christ? Are you going to follow him? Are you going to place your faith and your trust in him? Are you willing to turn away from everything that's contrary to him, to truly repent? and place your faith and trust in him and understand that the only thing that you bring to the equation is your sin and your depravity and your iniquities. That's all we can bring to the cross. We impute that to Christ and he imputes his righteousness to us. Look at Mark. Uh, whoops, here we go. One fifteen. John 6.65, John 6.29, and Philippians 1.29, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Think of that. If the gospel message is truly reaching your heart and you know you must cling to Christ, you have been granted that by God. John 6, 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Your belief is a work of God. It is not your work. Philippians 1, 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Count the cost.
you must count the cost if you're going to follow Christ. I'll close with Romans 10, 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I'm not talking about a cheap confession. I'm talking about a heartfelt, from the soul, the depths of your soul, belief and proclamation that you have faith in Jesus Christ. That's what matters. Folks, the gospel is the most important message that you will ever hear and as a believer that you will ever share. If you do not have a personal relationship with Christ or if you are unsure of your faith or struggling, please contact us. You can email us at thewayministrychurch@outlook.com. The Way Ministry Church at outlook.com and we'd love to help you if you need more information on the message of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the message of the gospel. The reason for everything is Jesus Christ and the gospel message that he is. Lord, I just ask that you would touch each heart and soul and spirit that hears this message, Lord, that you would use it uh, to bring people out of the darkness, to strengthen the saints that might be struggling, to edify those that are striving to carry the message to new hearts, and that you would do a powerful work with it. We live in times that seem so dark and chaotic and challenging, but for Christians, they are fascinating times because we see your word and your gospel message coming to life right before us. And we just thank you and we praise you. Please guide us through the coming week in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to visit our website, uh, you can find um, links to our sermons there. There's some articles on recovery. Uh, the website address is the way, the letter R, 122.org. If you'd like to listen to, the, listen to the sermons, you can subscribe to the podcast as well. So you can listen to older sermons or anything that we've recorded over the last couple of years. Uh, you, can, you can find the podcast by going to Christian podcastcommunity.org. And then just search there. There's a search field and just put in the way radio. It'll take you right to our page in the Christian podcast community. There are also some great uh, podcasts by other Christians there. My friend Andrew runs the Christian podcast community, and he is very careful to make sure that anybody that's publishing in that location on that venue is doing so uh, in a way that's glorifying God and that is grounded in biblical doctrine. So it's a good place where you know that you're going to hear solid Christian teaching. ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. Just search for The Way Radio. Uh, YouTube. You can just search for The Way Ministry Church. I'm in the process of transferring the, the videos from YouTube over to a new platform. It's called Brighteon. And if you'd like to, we so far we've only got four videos uploaded. I'm trying to do one or two each day, but it's it's time consuming because the files are so large. Eventually, we will completely move away from YouTube because it's becoming obvious that Christians are being uh, censored and will probably be totally eliminated from YouTube. So we are now switching everything over to Brighteon, and you can find us at brighteon.com forward slash channels forward slash the way radio. And that's where our new uh, location will be there. Uh, we need all the support.
support we can get. We're trying to get the Bible school started in Kenya. I begin, I've begun to send them uh, information and teaching materials. So that is getting underway. We need all the help we can get. It's, it's a massive undertaking, but I think the Lord's opened that door and it's going to be just a, a great blessing to be able to carry the gospel to Kenya. And now we're, we're looking at the possibility of reaching out to the surrounding countries as well uh, from that hub. And you can do that by going to our website, the way the letter R122.org, and just click on the donate page and you'll see the button there and you can donate right through our website. Thank you so much for watching today, folks. It's always a blessing. And we will be back here next week, same time, same place. God bless.